0: We have to grasp that the biosphere is an absolute boundary that limits our behaviour. Then you say, okay, well, how do you get that biosphere imperative to made real in the practical functioning of humans? Put it into every constitution. Having got that in, then that's when change starts to happen. When action starts to happen.
1: Hello. And welcome to the second series of the Hidden Power podcast called Pre-Flight Checklist. It's a useful analogy which we are using to think about getting the best out of our little lives on spaceship Earth, using something that profoundly impacts our lives but none of us ever really see, a constitution. In this series we explore one by one each of the 26 principles that would govern a pleasant life through, and at the far side of, the current climate emergency. I'm Philip Tottenham, and my co-presenter is the author of these principles, Ed Straw. Check. 23.
0: End-to-end producer responsibility. Producers are responsible for all impacts of their activities and products, from raw material extraction to product recycling
1: stroke disposal. Okay. When I hear all that, I think, well, how is this defined and identified? How do producers know what to be responsible about? How would it be enforced? What I see is a kind of a flow of information. That there's an element of diligence and process. At
0: present, the way it works is essentially company responsibility typically starts with the receipt of its materials that is purchased and then ends with the use of their products by consumers. So companies are variously liable in law for the safety of their products in use by humans, aspects of damage to the environment whilst manufacturing, the quality of work life of their employees and the recycling disposal of their products. Mm. So it's quite contained what a company is responsible for at present. Mm. And it's all part of the outer sight, outer mind way in which we live that we don't want to know actually where a lot of this stuff came from and how it got there and certainly once we've finished using it we don't want to know what happens to it and where it goes let alone being responsible for that
1: i mean um, the thing i find that i get most irate about is packaging in in general and seeing whenever i go to the dump the amount of ikea packaging yeah. this sort of furniture packaging that people who are buying this stuff and I don't know how much of this stuff they're buying. It seems like there's no end to, to the purchase, for example, of furniture, and therefore no end to the producing of this excessive and incredibly well-designed packaging, which then gets recycled rather than reused, which always seems to me it's such a kind of an abomination.
0: That does raise also another issue, which is in terms of sort of carbon dioxide accounting, it's often couched just in terms of the carbon dioxide produced and other polluting gases produced from a country. Actually, all of the consumption of products made elsewhere is really our responsibility. So we'll be talking about net zero and not counting all of those things that we're buying from China, where typically I was hearing on the Greta Thunberg programme, the costs to the biosphere of producing those are four times what they would be in Europe because Mm. they're using a load of coal-fired power. So it's a sort of clarity of accounting in the sense Mm. of accounting for use of materials and indeed use of, if that's the right word, people. And then that being wrapped into
1: the way in which the economy works. A case in point that came to my attention is this whole question of fast fashion, as mm-hmm. in inexpensive clothing produced by mass market retailers in response to the latest trends. Yeah. So it's like a machine that sort of hoovers up yeah. celebrity images and yeah. showers out massive amounts of replicas. And obviously, along with that, Mm -hmm. massive amounts of pollution. And indeed, I believe the fashion industry is responsible for 10% of the world's carbon emissions. And that's before, as you say, you get into other forms of pollution, which are many and various, including uh, chemicals, dyes. And then there's the whole question of overproduction and the question of very high consumption and disposal of individual Mm -hmm. products which in some cases, you know, it's weekly. People are, you know, buying stuff and using it once and chucking it because it's yeah. so cheap. Yeah. And I, you know, as a part of my general quest to find great podcasts, I found myself listening last year to the Business of Fashion podcast right. with a guy called Imran Ahmed, who I thought was very good and mm-hmm. has some very interesting people on it. Entrepreneurial stories and that kind of thing. But they keep mm-hmm. talking about how the industry is broken. And one aspect of it, as well as this, environmental disaster is because of the fast fashion environment, designers are no longer really creative as such. They're just slaves to this intellectual mining, as it were, trying to keep up. And I was sort of thinking about this and thinking, actually, you know, we've seen Boohoo in the news a lot. And it's such a good example. As an output of the global monetary system that we've always talked about, and this hard-edged drive for profit, fast fashion is really in many ways, exhibit A. And I was just thinking about Boohoo, so I had a quick look at some of the headlines over the last six months. And so going back to about a year ago, they had their modern slavery allegations yeah. over uh, factories in Leicester. And then more recently, their CEO, I presume he is, or his or founder, Mahmoud Kamani, on the one hand, he's on this sort of rich list, and on the other mm-hmm. hand, huge opposition to his re-election as whatever he is, CEO. Mm-hmm. But then there are these other headlines, which have this interplay of greenwashing consumer power or the absence of consumer power and shareholder power and the absence of shareholder power so you have boohoo may link bosses pay to environmental and social improvements wow. which i mean to me says absolutely nothing <clears throat> they, they may but there again they may not yeah. and then boohoo unscathed by modern slavery allegations right boohoo bows to pressure on bonuses boohoo reveals names of 1,100 factories in Transparency Drive. I mean, over 1,000 factories is producing a massive amount of clothing. Yeah. Um, Boohoo plans to create 5,000 jobs. You know, again, great little bit of PR. Signs packed with Bangladesh garment workers. I mean, I find myself thinking, well, don't get your hopes up. Uh, But maybe that's a bit cynical. And then here's an interesting one. Earnings soar by 41% despite criticism of UK supply chain. Wow. So to wow. me, that's an abject failure of consumer power right yeah, there. Yeah. Not that I grudge a company making money, but, you know, yeah. for so- soaring earnings in the environment in which they're working. And then there's the tumbling stock price. It's sort of plummeted several times and then shot I, back up. So yeah. I wonder if there's a bit of activist investor activity against the salivating over massive earnings
0: yeah you're absolutely right i mean it's a fantastic case study of the fix that we're in retail fashion has developed over the last 30 years well i mean 30 years ago 40 years ago a jumper cost a reasonable amount of money and you didn't buy them that often increasing wealth but then reducing costs because of manufacturing in particularly China in the early days, then Bangladesh, East Europe, anywhere where wage rates were low, conditions were poor. So you could produce these things incredibly cheaply, on top of which then global distribution took off via shipping and aeroplanes so that the distribution cost of getting something around the world From its factory in China to you in the shop, I think, is a pound. It's tiny. Of course, none of this includes any of the environmental costs. So the industry got into this cycle of being able, through computer-aided design, to produce very, very rapidly copies of the best designs or replicas of other people's designs. So the life cycle of a piece of clothing in a shop can be as low as two weeks before that's cast off and passed on. This is great, we can go off and buy new things, they're so cheap and so on and so forth, except... It can't add Mm. up. And you look at various industries and think, well, how can they get to a position of being sustainable? And frankly, how do you get to a position of being sustainable with this very high turnover fashion? Well, you can't. Because it's just consuming too much in too many directions. And of course, that also puts the onus on ourselves. So the fashion business has got
1: major, major issues and has to become circular. I suppose we'll talk next week about the consumer side of this, but it seems to be an obvious place where consumer power. Whether it could make a difference isn't making a difference. Obviously, consumer power is an important piece of the puzzle. I think this looks to me like an arena where the rails need to be set by controllers of particular markets, as in governments. The OECD countries have been drifting towards this extended Extended producer
0: responsibility, yeah,
1: uh, which is a term
0: I think the EU came up with it, which basically says you have a responsibility, if you like, downstream of where your product is. So if you're a car manufacturer, then you have to have in place arrangements for the disposal and recycling of that car. So mm. we have extended downstream. And those arrangements, so, you know, talking about packaging out of Ikea, terribly sorry, Ikea, and indeed anyone else, you need to have in place arrangements for the recycling of that packaging. You can't Mm. just chuck it out to the consumer, hopefully put it in the recycling at the recycling place. But then, of course, what happens to it after the recycling centre? We know that often that stuff just ends up in the general tip. But you've got to plot that chain right the Mm. way through so that piece of cardboard ikea what happens to it eventually where does it go and does it go back into the supply chain for the next round of packaging and what does that mean in terms
1: of your use of packaging you know Um, when i I hear you talking about this there's a sort of ideal wastelessness like the ideal circularity Mm. of matter Mm. within the economy Mm. and on the one hand, I sort of think of, well, okay, this is a bit like heating in a house that, you, you know, you're trying to minimize your heating cost by mm. having good insulation. Mm. Or you could go a step further and have one of these sort of heat pump systems that, mm. uh, you know, literally re- recycles the heat mm. within mm. the house. Mm. Um and then I was thinking another sort of version of wastelessness that might be more appropriate, you know, since we often hear about ecosystems of companies, there's a version of wastelessness that exists already within the biosphere in terms of the recycling of material through plants and animals yeah. and back through each other. And I just wonder, do circular economists see that kind of ecosystem emerging or would that absolve producers from their end-to-end responsibility. End-to-end responsibility is very much
0: about creating this circular economy, that we can't just have this linear process which somehow forgets where stuff
1: comes from Mm. and it forgets where stuff goes to. So it, it basically starts with a gouge out of a mountain and ends with dumping stuff into the sea. Exactly so. I mean, very well put. And the need to take that
0: linear process and to join the two ends. So the end of that product's life cycle is then going into the beginning of the next product's life cycle. And that of itself has to be a contained and balanced process, as you put it in ecological terms. I pick up my iPhone. Now, you know, where did this iPhone come from? And where did all the minerals in it come from? And how much of the
1: mountain was gouged out? With iPhones in particular, you're getting at that question of the sort of hopeful, voluntary nature of the consumer selling it back to Apple so they can reuse the rare earth minerals, which is what they do, to actually enforce And you know, I've heard this discussed before that we may move to a world where we no longer own hardware. We rent it and it gets exchanged automatically, mm. just as our software is updated automatically. There's a thing called free cycle, and it's really good because people give
0: stuff to each other. You know, I'm sat there with some electronic gizmos that I no longer need. Someone else wants them and you just pass them on. But that notion of the circularity Hmm. of a product and your point about maybe we need to think about renting these things just in the way in which we're sort of renting our existence on the planet in a way. And you know, if you go back, it's not just about the biosphere, it's also about people. So this iPhone that I'm holding, and perhaps composing some highfalutin message, well, what was involved for the people in those mines that were mm. digging this stuff out? What were their conditions? As How much slavery, modern slavery, is there in this iPhone? Has well, there was, there was a lot
1: of talk about Foxconn in China and the, the conditions of workers there which didn't sound particularly appetising, but I don't know how unusual it was. Maybe that's normal for, for workers' conditions. For well,
0: that. whether it's normal or not, I think is not the issue. It's Is this a basis on which the world wants to work, that essentially, you know, there's a massive amount of exploitation involved in me using this iPhone. Mm. So this notion of end-to-end responsibility, so it starts right with where the minerals and whatever else are being extracted, with the conditions for the biosphere in which they're extracted, with the conditions for the people in which they're being extracted, it goes right the way through as to how those materials are put together in the factories today and the conditions for the people through to what happens to that product at the end of its life and how is it reused. So that's the notion. So I
1: find myself thinking that, you know, there's the question of putting a law in. But even laws depend not just on enforcement, but on some degree of buy-in. on the part of the people that that actually have to live them and enact them and so i was sort of wondering what's in it for a company first of all just to come quickly back to the law
0: i mean in the way in which car companies have been made responsible for what happens to their products once they come to the end of their life that has gone into law companies are doing it so the law can be pretty effective at the same time the benefits. So for example Renault are uh, displayed upon the circular economy website and we'll put that in the show notes. So Europe's first dedicated circular economy factory for vehicles. Renault is a pioneer of the circular economy in the automotive industry. The aim of the circular act is to extend the life of vehicles and components and keep materials in use thereby reducing the use of virgin materials. And in a way they're not going further than the EU currently requires them to, but in the sense that hopefully that way of thinking is getting embedded in Renault and that it will therefore find it much easier to adapt because we're talking about a lot of adaptation in companies and we shouldn't just, you know, sort of dismiss that and write that off and say, well, that's what you've got to do. This is all about transition and companies transitioning to the, the new economy, but it does mean they'll get ahead of the game. And if it goes beyond greenwashing, then you're producing a different ethos in mm. the company and you're producing the ethos that says we respect nature and we know that nature, the biosphere, is more powerful than us. That is- question
1: of respect is interesting because it's not just about saying, oh, you know, you can buy this Renault car and drive into the hills which you, is what you would see on the ad, is that question of threat, in the way that you would re- respect a tiger or a tsunami. It's, this is a real thing that needs to be dealt with delicately and thoughtfully. Yes, and the sort of underpinning
0: of the shift in human attitude to the biosphere from one of in economic terms and externality, it doesn't matter to us, particularly mm. if we live in cities, it doesn't really matter much, We know that that's not the case. But the positive side of all of this is that in the back of our minds, we all know that what we are doing in relation to the environment is unsustainable. We all know that actually this nature thing is just incredibly wonderful. Actually, that gives you a far greater happiness hit an environmental ecstasy
1: hit, than buying any number of jumpers. People talk about consumer culture, but I think it's not often interrogated as a phrase as to what it really means. But when we're talking about consumer culture, we're talking specifically about kudos attached to owning new things. What some people would call a kind of a neomania, this need to buy new things and show them off. And so there's that element of conspicuous consumption that goes along with it. And as we've said, you know, with regards to capitalism, there are many alternatives to consumer culture. Just because we all consume in order to survive doesn't mean we need to engage in this sort of monolithic image and money-based Consumer culture, you know, there are other ways. Other ways to live, Um, other values to put in place of the mass consumerism. I think when when you're talking about Renault there, we're Mm. talking about the interaction between an ethos and a company culture. The company culture can be adopted quite easily, at least as an ideal. People who are struggling may not have the opportunity, but to have better... Responsibility for where things come from and where things are going is a good culture to bring into a business. It's like, well, we're
0: now connected.'re just shoving stuff out of the door, which mm. then goes to people that we never see. We're just sort of feeding this voracious beast to something that's saying, "Here is something that we're making." this
1: matters to someone? But you know, this is also good business. You know, you see this growth of community management among businesses. Good salespeople know their customers very well and know yep. what they're looking for and are able to service them. Mm. And having that interaction and for it to go both ways, both insofar as business is both a seller and talks to that community, but it also mm. a, has a community of people that it buys from. Mm. To be able to engage with both those communities and to spread an ethos is good branding in the best sense of branding as being, well, what we yeah. all believe in, what we all yeah. think is okay. And this all comes back
0: to a changing the ethos, but then changing the rule book. And so the rule book currently says, as we've discussed so many times, if you're a listed company, if you're a big shareholder and top management income driven, then you will get up to all sorts of shenanigans mm. like Boohoo in order to maximise profits, maximise your wealth and so on and sod everything else.
1: And that's again, we're getting to liberalism in the sense of doing whatever the hell you please yeah. and not being answerable to anybody or neoliberalism as that within this money system that just yeah. grinds out money. We want money. Yeah. We don't care how we get it. And And these people that are
0: benefiting from it, these people that find themselves, they're not necessarily bad people, find themselves in that system, benefiting from it, just keep churning the handle, making more and more money out of what is essentially an entirely separate group of people. I mean, Mm. it's 99% actually of the population. There's the 1% that are the top beneficiaries of this system. And the 99% aren't. And that separation has to be removed. (laughs) And that 1% have to be reabsorbed into Mm. the mass of humanity. The rules have to be changed. Those that are seeking massive status and massive income,
1: those are not the people we want running the world, essentially. That's very reminiscent of our previous conversations, isn't it? Um, But on the other end of the spectrum, we have consumers and consumer power. And next week, we will be looking at consumer power with principle number 24. Which is the company duty to inform. For
0: each product or service, consumers shall be informed of the biosphere and human impact of its sourcing, manufacture, distribution, and post-use treatment.